The Guardian. This week on Science Weekly, we're looking ahead to the lifting of coronavirus restrictions next Monday on the 19th of July. Some are calling this day Freedom Day. And in our last episode on Tuesday, my colleague Shivani Dave explored why that framing around liberty is problematic and whether the government has been sending mixed messages about how people should behave. Today, what are the risks of removing almost all restrictions in England on social distancing, meeting up with people, working from home and wearing face masks in most places? when, according to some studies, cases are rising exponentially and almost half the UK population is yet to be fully vaccinated. If you are going to say, OK, we are actually knowingly going to have essentially an uncontrolled epidemic with vaccines to take down the number of hospitalizations and deaths, potentially you're setting yourself up for a bad time. From The Guardian, I'm Anand Jagatia. And this is Science Weekly. Ian Sample, you're The Guardian's science editor, and we're recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday the 13th. We're in the middle of what some people are saying is a third wave of coronavirus infections. What are case numbers like at the moment, and how are they predicted to go up in the following weeks? At the moment, we're seeing about 35,000 cases per day. The, the cases at the moment, they're going up about as steeply as they were at the beginning of the very big winter wave we had here in the UK. And bear in mind, that's happening with the current restrictions in place. So even if we didn't do any more lifting of restrictions, we could easily reach 70,000 daily cases before the end of the month, um, which is a pretty much the sort of peak daily cases we saw over the winter. When you think, okay, we're going to do further easing on the 19th of July, and you have to say also probably a Euro 2020 finals effect with a lot of people getting together for that, you know, it could be on for 100,000 cases a day by the end of the month or, or early August. You know, the thing to bear in mind is that this is the first time we'll have a peak that isn't due to be controlled by a lockdown. So what the modelling shows is that that will rise into August, into late July and August. Um, you could end up having high case numbers, high daily case numbers for many weeks. And we're certainly expecting more than a million cases over the next few weeks ahead. I mean, those sound like really high numbers, right? Potentially cases reaching 100,000 a day. But the hope is that of those cases, a lot fewer of them are then going to lead to hospitalizations or deaths than we've seen previously, because now we've got good coverage of the vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the vaccine program is, um, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's beyond lockdown, which is crippling for all of us. Um, you know, vaccination is just by far and away the best intervention you could come up with. And what it means is that at the moment, with the coverage we have at the moment, cases are about four times less likely to lead to hospitalizations than they were in the winter. And they're about 10 times less likely to lead to deaths than in the winter. So essentially, we've gone from about 2% of cases in the winter dying to about 0.2% uh, today. And that's with, it's about just over 50% of the whole UK population double vaccinated. 
That does sound really promising, and we know that vaccines do work; they're doing their job. But what do the models say about the actual absolute numbers of hospitalizations and deaths that we could expect to see as things open up? And how does that compare to the second wave that we had in the UK over winter? If we compare it to the, the, the wave last winter, first of all, what happened then? During that wave, we had more than two thousand hospitalizations per day. Between mid-December and early February, and they, they went up to more than four thousand a day, and we had more than two hundred deaths per day from late October to late February. Now, if you look at the modelling from Monday on the twelfth of July to look at what will happen when we take step four, when we ease these further restrictions on the nineteenth of July, they suggest we can expect about one thousand to two thousand daily hospital admissions at the peak over the summer, when those restrictions are lifted, and about one hundred to two hundred deaths a day、uh, at the peak,、um, and that's their sort of so-called central scenario. Now, it depends massively on how people behave, and the crucial question is: Do people think, okay, the epidemic in this country is over, and go back to pre-COVID types of socialising? Mixing, or do people take it really cautiously? And one of the modelling groups,、um, which is based at the University of Warwick, found that if we rush back to sort of pre-pandemic behaviour, pre-pandemic levels of mixing, what we could actually see is something of the order of thirteen hundred to four thousand eight hundred daily hospitalisations. So, getting very much up there, and even potentially exceeding in, in a really worst-case scenario what we saw. In January, in terms of hospitalizations, so the government really is, is is taking a bit of a gamble that now is the right time to continue with stage four and to to open up pretty much completely, and and they've sort of pointed to the fact that kids won't be in school, so there's this natural firebreak, and also that the NHS is actually under other pressures over the winter and autumn. What do you make of that? I think they are taking a gamble. I mean, no one knows what's going to happen, so I'm not sure how else. We can describe it, really. I mean, ministers have been told that daily hospitalizations should be lower than they were in the winter, though it's not a done deal. And you know, let's not pretend that the winter was something that the NHS coped with well. I mean, more people died in our winter wave of COVID than had died in the epidemic in this country until that point. So it was a horrific thing. So saying things won't be as bad as the winter isn't particularly comforting in in my mind. With with schools being out, the number of contacts children will have is going to be lower, so that will push down a bit on transmission. What what the a lot of the scientific advisers are saying is that if you delay, you really just push all this into the winter, when the NHS will already be facing its usual seasonal pressures. You know, particularly you know, there's a risk of a big、uh, flu season this year, so that is on their minds, but. One thing where there is a huge variation of opinion among scientists and scientific advisers is when is the right time to do this. There is a danger if we just focus on hospitalizations and deaths that we don't. Think about other risks from opening up, like long COVID, and that may not put pressure on the NHS in the short term, but it could do later on. People attending long COVID clinics and so on, and, and also obviously it affects people's、uh, health in the future and, and their ability to work and things like that. So, what do we know about the estimates for potentially how many people long COVID could impact? I think this is a really 
big issue and, and, and a worrying issue potentially. All of the sort of decision making around lifting restrictions seems to me at least to be looking at, okay, what is our vaccination rate and what has that done to acute admissions, hospitalizations because of COVID um, and deaths because of COVID? It hasn't really factored in what is the expected impact of long COVID and, and, and who that burden will fall on. And as we're going to open up, we're still going to have millions of, of younger, healthy people who aren't much at risk of acute disease from COVID, but are absolutely at risk of long COVID. And and, and a proportion of them will need on long-term care, it seems. Um, you know, there are people who are still ill and, and seriously ill now from the first wave of COVID that we experienced. If you look at actually rates of COVID that are really sort of disrupting to your life, you're looking at sort of, say, 1%, 2% in 20-year-olds, whereas in middle age, it's about 5%. So younger people do seem to get off a little bit better. But, you know, one thing is that we've we've seen cases of long COVID in people who even have asymptomatic and very mild COVID infections. So, you know, if you get that virus, it is a risk and can be deeply debilitating. So I think that's a big unknown. I mean, some of the figures that have been calculated are that we could see hundreds of thousands of cases of long COVID brought about by this next wave. And as well as long COVID and hospitalizations, what seems to be one of the bigger concerns is that by allowing the virus to sort of circulate unchecked once things open up again, that we might get the emergence of a new variant that is not only more transmissible, but potentially more resistant to vaccines. And some people have said that actually, we're almost creating the kind of perfect conditions for that to happen, because not everybody has been vaccinated yet. What do they mean by that? And what is it that they're actually worried about happening? It's the same reason that we're worried about antibiotic resistant bacteria. Basically, you can have a big epidemic where you have a lot of cases of coronavirus going around. And the more cases you have, the more rolls of the dice you have in terms of this virus mutating. So the, the risk is that you have a big epidemic, a lot of chances for the virus to mutate, but then you have this other big population that is vaccinated. And if you end up with a variant that suddenly is able to evade the immunity brought on by the vaccine, then it can suddenly gain a foothold in all those millions of people who are vaccinated. And you can end up making that variant then really successful. It can then become the dominant one. And I mean, it wouldn't be black and white. It wouldn't be that suddenly you get a variant that escapes all of the vaccine protection in one go, but it would be pushing in that direction. And that's something that we really don't want to see. Uh, we expect it, I think, over the long term, and you can tweak vaccines as you go along, but it would be pretty devastating to see that happen before the winter. And we've seen how quickly new variants can spread around the world. So it's not just something that would be of concern to us in the UK. It would it would put the whole situation globally potentially at risk. That's exactly right. And it would be a problem for any country that had a substantially, you know, advanced vaccine program. And you because it would it would be as if those people were less protected. And so you you undo not only the work a lot of the work in your own country, but that in other countries as well. 
Ian, last week you wrote a brilliant analysis piece on the risks that we've been talking about. And you spoke to lots of scientists and doctors about the upcoming easing of restrictions. How did they feel about the government's decision to continue with opening up on Monday? I've actually heard a huge range of opinions on this from scientists who actually are advising the government, but also scientists who aren't. There definitely are some scientists who say, look, we've protected a really high percentage of the most vulnerable people and these lockdowns are brutal. Let's not pretend otherwise. They they absolutely are brutal on everything, health, economics, but but so much, you know, well-being and so on. And so there are absolutely scientists out there who say, look, let's go for it. Let's let's ease restrictions. We need to keep an eye on everything. We don't want everyone to rush back quickly, but let's do it and let's do it cautiously. But then there are other scientists, and these are all eminent people who will say, look, this is this is madness that that you're looking at having these vast numbers of of infections, a lot of hospitalizations still, 1,000, 2,000 hospitalizations a day, potentially, maybe higher. When the NHS is still recovering and still under pressure, it's still trying to get through backlogs. It doesn't want to now turn back all those wards into making it the the national COVID service. And, you know, the healthcare staff haven't had much, if any, let up. And, you know, ITUs, intensive care units, they're filling up. And other scientists will say, look, we we don't have to have this wave of hospitalizations. And, and even though it'll be a smaller number of deaths, we don't need to have those because we can just try and maybe bring in a few more restrictions that wouldn't be horrifically onerous and then just push on with vaccinations and try and get a lot of vaccinations into 12 to 16 year olds um, before the, before September, push down on the size of the wave we're going to see. Obviously, the hope is that things start to open up on Monday and, you know, we don't get a lot of hospitalizations and actually it, it, it works great. If things don't go to plan and this decision maybe was taken a bit too soon, what what do you think the government's response might be? I mean, could we end up seeing more restrictions and, and going backwards into lockdown? The problem with these pandemics and, and you know, you'd hope that the lesson had been learnt by now is that it, it always seems to be better to overreact early than underreact late. And if you are going to say, OK, we are actually knowingly going to have essentially an uncontrolled epidemic with vaccines to take down the number of hospitalizations and deaths. Potentially, you're setting yourself up for a bad time. When when things get really ugly, you'll be wanting to have made the decision at least two weeks before that. And so the danger is, I think, that we end up in a bad situation and then say, look, this is so bad, we have to then reimpose restrictions. But once you make a decision, a lot of these hospitalizations and deaths that are going to come are already baked in because of the lag between, you know, getting a positive test, those people ending up in hospital and then potentially going on to die. I mean, that's two to three weeks. So the worry is, I think, for me, that if things do go bad, and let's obviously hope they don't, but if things do go bad, you have to move really fast to make sure they don't get an awful lot worse. And that all comes down to political will and whether whether there is a, a motivation and a willingness to do that at the top. Well, we'll see. Uh, Ian, thank you so much. Thank you. 
You can read Ian Sample's piece on the risks of unlocking as well as all of our reporting on the pandemic at theguardian.com. And before I go, The Guardian has launched something new and shiny, which I think you might like. Alex Hearn, The Guardian's technology editor, is starting a newsletter. It's called Techscape, and you can sign up for his expert insights and opinions in your inbox automatically. Search Guardian Techscape to sign up. Science Weekly will be back next week. In the meantime, you can drop us a line at scienceweekly at theguardian.com. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com forward slash podcasts.